And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. I can see you right now in the kitchen, bending over a hot stove, but I can't see the stove. Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? The shadow knows. <laughs> Would you mind telling me whose brain I did put in? And you won't be angry? I will not be angry. Abby someone. Abby someone. Abby who? Abby normal. What do you do, Carl? Carl is a inventor slash entrepreneur. Yeah, I'm still looking for that home run, you know? I mean, when I saw the iPod first time, I was like, you know, I could have kicked myself. That was so hard on him. What's your name? Carl, my name. Atomic batteries to power. Turbines to speed. Roger. Ready to move out. Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents the best in classic radio. This hour on Hollywood 360, I'll present the conclusion to a Christmas episode of Fibber McGee and Molly from 1941. Then it's a Christmas story of high adventure on Escape from 1952. With me, as always, is my co-host, Lisa Wolf. What's up, Lisa? Hi, Carl. Man, your dimples, they're getting bigger and bigger. They're staying the same. No, I mean, every time I see every week. What do you think, Mike? Don't they look bigger to you? Yeah, well, it's uh, the holidays, so yeah. she's smiling more, yeah. and it's just See, adding to the deepness happy. of it. At least somebody's happy around Cold here. Cold weather is cracking them deeper. Maybe that's my <laughs> So what's happening in the world of Hollywood? Well, if you want to see Barbara Streisand sing live, you can watch her Netflix special because you will not see her on stage again. So it's called Barbara, the Music, the Memories, the Magic. It debuted recently on Netflix, and Streisand did not tour for 27 years. Why? She yep. doesn't like the tour? Well, she forgot the words at a show in 1967. And, it, and she it said, scarred her. I get, I mean, I could see that. She said performing live concerts is just too nerve-wracking. Yeah. And she will not consider doing them again. And to quote her, she said, no, I would never do another show. It's exhausting. Wow. So she recorded this special during her tour stop in Miami last year. She had a 13-city tour. And it's a show. It's one hour, 48 minutes. It's a concert plus much more. Yeah. So if you like Barbara Streisand, you're oh, a fan. Who Check doesn't it out like Barbara Netflix. Streisand? I, you know, there's ballads, there's standards, there's behind the scenes stories, and yeah. she's really wonderful. Funny she, girl herself. I know, and she still can do it. She's yeah. got the chops. So well, you know, she played Fanny Bryce, I of know. course, in Funny Girl, and Fanny Bryce was a big radio star. She was, of course, a Zigfield Follies yeah. star, but she had her own radio series, Baby Snooks and Daddy. And uh, She's still going strong. Yeah, and Check she her played her Netflix. amazingly in that movie. Yeah. Yeah. She's All right. been in a lot of movies. Very She's cool. We'll do. Yeah, she is a great actress. All right, thanks, Lisa. Thanks, well, last time we began listening to Fibber McGee and Molly, Good Christmas Show from 1941, December 16th to be exact. Now the conclusion of Fibber McGee and Molly. That old flounder. <laughs> so I haven't got any taste, haven't I? Not in half, dearie. Uh, when it comes to fashions, you'd better just do one thing. What's that? Saw wood. Huh? Oh, okay. I got needles galore sprinkled over the floor in the shade of the old pine tree. Hey, Molly. 
How's she look now? Well, it looks better, McGee. At yeah. least we can get in the same room with it. <laughs> now, if you'll trim some more off the far side there. Okay, I'll get... Oh, hi, Harlow. Hello, Fibber. Hello, Molly. Hello, Mr. Wilcox. Won't you come in and get some sawdust all over your clothes? <laughs> <laughs> Say, what goes on here, anyway? I went out and cut down my own Christmas tree, Harlow. Now i got to shorten the sleeves on it a little. <laughs> <laughs> well, you sure got the room in a mess, pal. You've got enough loose branches around here to bed down a rhinoceros. Well, lie down and we'll try to make you comfortable. <laughs> Very funny, McGee. But what can we do for you, Mr. Wilcox? Well, it's like this, Molly. I'm a little worried about the greeting cards I ordered this year. I'm afraid the sentiment is a little too flowery. Well, read one to us, Mr. Wilcox. Though, personally, I don't think a greeting card could be too flowery. Why, certainly not. Let them drip, I always says. (laughs) Well, read the blurb, Waxy. (laughs) All right. It reads, The season's greetings to you, my friend. From the Johnson Self-Polishing Glow Coat Man. I hope that in 1942 and 43 and 44 and 45 and 46, you'll remember all those little tricks I showed you about saving time and dough by using Glow Coat on your flow. On your flow? Well, shut my mouth, honey child. You shut it, dearie. Continue, Mr. Wilcox. How it saves your linoleum and keeps it clean with a lovely gloss and a dandy sheen. Eliminates rubbing and buffing, too, and in 20 minutes or less, you're through. Just pour some out and spread it around and let it dry, and then you've found the color and pattern have come to life. And so have you, your husband's wife. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> Your husband's wife. <laughs> if that ain't the corny. Hey, what's that noise? That was Longfellow turning over, Harlow. <laughs> window falling down again, but go ahead, Mr. Wilcox. Well, there isn't much more, Fine. but it goes, the best of wishes I send to you from me and S.C. Johnson & Son Incorporated, too. Well, what do you think of it? Okay. Okay. I'll get something else. <laughs> Naive character, isn't he, Molly? How naive? Oh, I was talking to him one day, and he looks all around to see if anybody was listening, and then whispers to me that Santa Claus didn't really live at the North Pole. He said he really lived in Racine, Wisconsin. (laughs) (laughs) Say, that tree's getting awfully small, McGee. Better not trim it much more. Uh, I know, but I decided that it would look a lot better up on the piano. Well, that'll be nice. Then it'll be out of the way. Yeah, that's nice. I'll go out and fix that dining room window. Okay. Oh, I cut down the old pine tree, cause the ones at the store were not free. I told the man at the store. There's a knock at the door. I wonder who that could be. Come in. Oh, hello, Mr. Wimple. Hello, Mrs. McGee. How are you today, Mr. McGee? Fit as a fiddle and ready to play humoresque, Wimp. Old shrimp, what's it with you? I just dropped in to say goodbye for a couple of weeks, is all. Oh. I'm spending the holidays in Chicago with Mama and Papa. Oh. Is your wife going with you, Mr. Wimple? Who, sweetie face? Uh Uh-huh. No, she has to stay here and knit. Knit? Can't she knit on the train? Not so good, Mr. McGee. She broke three ribs wrestling with a policeman, and the doctor says she'll knit much better at home. Well, what on earth was she doing wrestling with a policeman? Oh, she is the instructor at the police gymnasium, Mrs. McGee. The whole force is just crazy to study with her. At least, I think they are. (laughs) I'll bet you'll miss her, Wimple. How much? How much will you miss her? No, how much will you bet? (laughs) Oh, I I shouldn't say that, I suppose. Sweetie Face is really a wonderful woman at heart, if any, and I doubt it. (laughs) 
Well, we'll call on her while you're gone, Wimple, and see if there's anything we can do. Yes, we might take her some fruit or something. Oh, I wouldn't advise it, Mrs. McGee. Last time Sweetie Face was sick, some people took her some flowers and she threw them in their faces. Oh, don't she like flowers? Yes, she loves flowers, but she hates people. <laughs> well, goodbye, folks, and Merry Christmas. And you. What are you sounding now? Hey, haven't you got that prefix yet? No, but it won't be long now, Molly. Anyway, I hope not. This saw's getting duller than a bus trip to Bloomington. <laughs> well, is it still awfully hot in here, McGee? You're asking the wrong man, Mrs. McGee. I'd be hot right now if I was up to my clavicle in ice cubes. <laughs> this is a warm work. Well, <laughs> I hate to keep that dining room window open, but the thermostat on the furnace simply won't work. Say... Have you been monkeying with that, McGee? Who, me? Yes, you. With the thermostat? Yes. Why should I have been monkeying with the thermostat? That's what I want to know. Heck, I don't know anything about a thermostat. I know that, too, but did you monkey with it? <laughs> when? Anytime. Well, say I did kind of tinker with it last night at that. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Now it comes out. And just what did you do to it, Mastermind? <laughs> well, I was walking past it with a screwdriver in my hand, and the screwdriver caught in one of the little screws, and the first thing I knew, I had it all apart. <laughs> Wonderful little gadget, too. McGee, I don't know what I'm going to do with you. That's a coincidence, Molly. I don't know what I'm going to do with this little dingus I took out of it, either. I couldn't find any way to get it back in there. Well, why didn't you tell me so I could call the furnace man? Oh, I was going to fix it myself when I got time. I'm pretty ingenious with mechanical stuff. You know that. Oh, sure. What happened when you fixed my percolator? What you mean? It throws coffee across the room like a fire extinguisher. <laughs> and my electric toaster. Oh, well. I have to fix breakfast wearing a catcher's mitt. <laughs> Oh, well. No machine is perfect. As soon as I finish with this tree, I'll fix it. Stop a while and listen to my... Well, you go ahead and I'll uh, go open that dining room window. Okay. Oh, for the... Come in. Hi, mister. Oh, hi, sis. Whatcha doing? Whatcha? Sis, I'm currently engaged in giving this deposed monarch of the forest a cross-cut massage. Well, hmm? I says I'm doing a little whittling on this Christmas tree. Look, do you always drink your milk like a good girl? Sure I do, I betcha. Why? Well, you better, that's all. Take a look at this saw. Only three years old and its teeth are all shot. Let that be a lesson to you. Okay, mister. I wish you wouldn't bother me anymore now. I gotta finish this job and get the sawdust swept out. Gee, you know it smells dandy in here. (laughs) Sure does. Mm -hmm. No nicer smell in the world than a cedar tree. It's one of nature's lures to get us out into the great outdoors. Gee, is it? Honest, mister? Sure it is. You gotta realize, sis, that there's a reason for everything in nature. Oh, What's nature's reason for spinach, huh? <laughs> Why, sis, do you mean to stand there with your little arms sticking out of your shoulders? And tell me you don't know that? Yes, I don't, I betcha. Nature gave us spinach so we could have Popeye. Oh. Gee, I guess I never thought of that, mister. Nature is wonderful, isn't he? She. Hmm? Nature, sis, is always referred to as she. Why? Well, because... Oh, boy, here's my chance to make Reader's Digest. (laughs) This? Nature is called she because it's so inconsistent, unstable, unpredictable, beautiful, mean, gorgeous, appealing, nasty, and nobody yet has ever understood her. (laughs) You think the Reader's Digest would like that? Well, don't you? The name of the magazine, mister, is Digest, not Heartburn. So long now. the last time I ever try to explain something to her, if I'm smart. 
Okay. Uh-oh. Aha. Now we're getting someplace. Now to cut her down on the sides. Now, trim the ends a little bit. Get her off there. there. Oh, heavenly days. There goes that window again. You don't have to worry about it anymore, Molly. Here, here's a nice stick I made for you to prop it up with. Oh, fine, dearie. Just the thing. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, forget it. It's nothing that any red-blooded American boy could have done. Say, it was very thoughtful of you now, <laughs> McGee. Say, yeah? what became of the Christmas tree? <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Got her trimmed down a little too fine. <laughs> well, that's that, I guess. Now to go to work on that thermostat. No, no, don't do it, Mickey. Good night. Good night, all. This is Harlow Wilcox, speaking for the makers of Johnson's Wax Finishes for Home and Industry, inviting you to be with us again next Tuesday night. Good night. This is the National Broadcasting Company. That's Faber, McGee, and Molly from December 16, 1941, with The Christmas Tree, starring Jim and Mary and Jordan, also in the cast, Gail Gordon, Isabel Randolph, and Bill Thompson, with Harlow Wilcox announcing. Are we going to ever name some uh, kids uh, Harlow? We've got to When start I have this. a baby, yeah, he, when you have another she baby. will be named Harlow. Well, I, I can could still have that. another baby. I, so I, could I. I I'm, uh, it's possible. Same here. I mean, I'm only 54. I could have another baby. You could. If I lost my mind. I'm probably... Probably the most likely, so yeah. I'll keep that name in mind. Yeah, Harlow. I'll run that by the wife for you. <laughs> Good idea. Sponsored by Johnson's Wax, is heard on NBC. Hope you enjoyed. I always love Fibber McGee and Molly. It puts me in a good mood. All right, when we come back from this break, it's Escape. Don't go away. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Welcome back. I'm Carl Amari. This is Hollywood 360 across many great radio stations in the U.S. of A. And uh, I want to remind all of our listeners that we have a tremendous podcast on our website. If you miss... Any of the Hollywood 360 show on your local radio station, you can just uh, log on to Hollywood360radio.com. There's also a store there, all kinds of fun stuff, thousands of pictures of Lisa. She keeps posting more and more pictures of herself, uh, and that's fine with us, right, Mike? Yep, absolutely. We, we don't mind it at all. Not just at go all. to Hollywood360radio.com. All right, it's time now for radio's greatest series of high adventure and mystery, Escape. Came to radio in 1947. Lasted till 1954, and the voices of Escape were William Conrad and Paul Frees. They often played roles too. The show was a cousin to Suspense, but didn't have the star power or budget of Suspense. And it used radio's best supporting players, people like Harry Bartell, Joseph Kearns, Ben Wright, John Daner, and others. All right, it's time for Escape, a good Christmas show from December 21st, 1952. This is called The Man Who Liked Dickens. It stars Joseph Kearns. Here's part one of Escape. I have the everyday grind. Ever dream of a life of romantic adventure? Want to get away from it all? We offer you... Escape. Escape, designed to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. You are crawling across a jungle savanna, your body flaming with fever, while behind you lies certain death and ahead 
the endless tortures of perpetual imprisonment. Listen now as Escape brings you Evelyn Waugh's classic story, The Man Who Liked Dickens. You know what it's like with the English. We're forever going off on curious expeditions into the interiors of strange, dark lands, having unbelievable adventures and returning at last pale and a bit feverish, but triumphant. This we do, but we do not invariably wear rather longish khaki shorts in the daytime, and no matter how primitive our surroundings, dress every night in black tie. I know this from the only exploration I ever went on, with Dr. Messenger into the Amazon to find a buried city called Demerara. I remember the night things started to go badly with us. It was our last camp on the river. Next day, we were to begin making our way south by foot, and we'd gone to bed early in preparation for the rigors of the trail. I'd been asleep an hour or two when I was wakened by something tugging gently at my toe. I sat up and looked sleepily toward the foot of my hammock, and then I saw what it was. Oh! 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 Johnny, what's up? What is it? Something on my toe. Black beast of some sort. Where is it? Did you frighten it off? It's gone, Doctor. It flew away. Oh, did it bite you? Yes, you see. On my great toe. Yes. Vampire bat. You must have gone to sleep with your foot against the mosquito netting. It's a foolish thing to do. Without telling how long he was at it before you woke up. I thought the lamp was supposed to keep him off. Doesn't seem to have, does it? No. Nasty. Hmm. May have lost quite a bit of blood. I don't think I like the idea much. Better put some iodine on it. I'll get one of the boys to bring the medicine chest. Goosey! Goosey! Here! McCoosey! What the devil? Well, what is it? Where's Makusi? I'm afraid we're in for it, old boy. They've gone. Gone? The boys, all of them. But why? Where'd they go? I was afraid of this. What do you mean? Well, these chaps are river men. They don't like going into Indian territory. I meant to explain things to them in the morning with the help of extra goods, you know, mirrors, pomade and the like. Too late now, I expect. You expect? This is a bloody fine way to run an expedition. Now we're alone, absolutely alone, in this filthy jungle. Well, what if we are? We'll move on. We have our maps. Takes a bit of poise, that's all. Poise? Are you mad, messenger? We can't even get back alone. How can we go on? Well, the situation is grave, lad, I must admit, but uh, not desperate, not altogether desperate. I wasn't sure whether Dr. Messenger had lost his mind or if he was merely displaying British calm in the face of disaster. In any event, by morning, I was beyond caring very much. When I awoke, my head was flaming with fever. And by noon, I was slightly delirious. The following day was no better, and Dr. Messenger was rather concerned. How do you feel, lad? Awful. I'm afraid I'm being a great nuisance. No, that's not the point. Here, I brought you something to drink. What is it? Kassiri. The boys left some outside. Oh, it's Kassiri. Oh, it's a local drink made of fermented cassava. Oh, could it help me? Well, it might. You know, it's rather interesting the way they make it. The women chew the root up and they spit it into a hollow tree trunk. If you don't mind, Doctor, I think I'd rather not. Well, as you like. Oh, look here. I think I've got the idea as to what's best for us to do. Oh? Yes. 
I'm going to take the canoe downstream to see if I can find some Indians to help. Best to go immediately, don't you, Mo? Yes, yes, that's good. All right, I'll come and see you off. Mm, you better stay quiet in your hammock. No, I'll come straight back, but I, I want to see you off. It, it'll be good for my morale, you know, to get myself up a bit. Perhaps. Well, anyway, I'll be back before tonight. Oh, come along. You, you can sit on the bank and wave goodbye tonight. I staggered down to the river's edge where I sat with my back against a tree and watched Dr. Messenger launch the canoe and paddle out to midstream. My vision was rather blurred by the fever, and I'll never know exactly what happened. But suddenly, the canoe seemed to pitch up and over, throwing Dr. Messenger out into the water. He must have smashed his head on a rock, for he appeared only once on the surface, and then, without a struggle, quickly sank, and the water closed over him. I got to my feet, swayed about helplessly for a moment, and then passed out. I remember nothing more. Until Mr. Todd found me. Can you see that house over there? Do you think you're able to walk through it? Well, if not, I can send some Indians to carry you. Rotten thing to watch a man drown. You've been talking to yourself a long time. Such strange talk. Glad to see you coming out of the book. Careful there. Thank you. I say, you're you're English. (laughs) I'm English, too. Uh, Last. Tony Last. Well, Mr. Last. You've been very ill, and you've had a rough time of it, wandering about in the jungle. But I'll take care of you now. Very kind of you to do this for an utter stranger. Not at all. I like strangers. Don't get them often. Perhaps I can repay you somehow when you come to London. I don't get to London, Mr. Last. But I think you might be able to repay me. Do come along, won't you? Let's break from escape more after these words. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Now back to escape. My recovery was slow, but Mr. Todd proved the most patient of nurses. He was forever hovering about, giving me medicines, feeding me, talking to me. I learned that his house was in a village of Indians not far from the riverbank, about ten miles above the spot from where I'd watched poor Dr. Messenger drown. He owned a few cattle, some bananas and mango trees, a dog, and a single-barreled shotgun. In general, his way of life, like the medicines he gave me, was that of the Indian. Of course, my mother was an Indian, Mr. Lass. But I thought you were English. Uh, My father was. He went to Guyana as a missionary, but soon came on here to look for gold. He found my mother instead and settled down. I was born here, 60 years in this village. Very long and lonely times, I can well imagine. Of course, most of the men and women living in this savannah are my relatives. Is that why you are more or less the ruler here? For that reason, and because I have the shotgun. Of course. Uh, Tell me, Mr. Last. Can you read? Well, yes, certainly. Not everyone is so fortunate. For example, I cannot. What? Oh, of course. Still, I, I don't suppose you have much opportunity here. Oh, yes, that's just it. I have a great many books. I'll show you when you're better. My father left them. Well, I'd be delighted to see them. You shall. Of course. You see, my father was a man of education. He read to me all the time. But since he died... Oh, there was nobody for a number of years... 
And then another Englishman came. He read to me every day, every single day. Another Englishman? But where is he now? I don't know. Well, how long was he here? I don't remember exactly. But he read to me every day. You shall read to me when you're better. I'd be delighted to, Mr. Todd. Oh, yes. You shall read to me. Mr. Todd had a curious way of putting things. But he was much too kind and selfless in his attentions to me to allow my thinking any ill of him. Still, he did give me a turn one day when we were talking a short walk around the village. It was the first time I'd left the house since the fever had gone. You'll find the Indians quite friendly here, but um, I'd keep apart from them if I were you. But why? If they want to be friendly. Things aren't always quite as they appear to be here in the jungle, Mr. Ross. Well, I'll go slow, if that's what you mean. Uh, that's not exactly what I mean. I say, what's that? What? There, between those mango trees, that, that mound of dirt. Oh, yes. It seems to be a grave. It is. Oh, of course. Your father? No. Barnabas is buried there. Uh, Barnabas Washington. Barnabas? Yes, the Englishman. I told you about him. You mean the one who was here? Who read to you so much? Oh, he read beautifully, Barnabas did. But look here, Mr. Todd. You told me you didn't know where he was. Well, I, I don't. Do you? Oh, I see. That's an odd way of putting it, I must say. Tell me, Mr. Todd, how long was he here, Barnabas Washington? Quite a long time. I know, but exactly how long? Oh, I don't keep much track of time down here. <laughs> you know how it is. Mm. At any rate, he never got home. He died here. Oh, yes, and he was so very kind. Every afternoon for two hours he used to read to me. Well, I suppose it was a good way to pass the time. Oh. Seems rather odd, though. I mean, reading here in the heart of the jungle, lost, so to speak, from the world. Oh, I suppose it does, but one gets used to it. Of course. Uh, you know, it seems a pity poor Barnaby's grave isn't marked. I think so. Yes, I think I'll put up a cross. In fact, I'll put up two of them. Uh, one to commemorate his death, and the other your arrival. A cross for me? I'm afraid I don't quite understand. Well, it's just a whim, Mr. Long. I'm sorry. I don't mean to be rude. Of course. And now, Mr. Last, I think you've recovered your strength sufficiently that we may begin tonight. What do you say? Begin tonight? Mm. Oh, my reading, is that it? Yes, that's it, Mr. Last, that's it. <laughs> All right, if you like. Oh, you know I've been waiting a long time for this. A dreadfully long time. And that night, the horror began. My subtle, unbelievable enslavement to the strange madness of the gentle Mr. Todd. That evening after supper, Mr. Todd led me into his room where we were to begin reading. From a loft at one end of the hut, he took down a number of small bundles tied up with rag, palm leaves, and rawhide. We carried them over to the fire, and he began to unwrap them with feverish anticipation. Yes. You choose one, Mr. Last. It doesn't matter which one to take first. Please, uh, choose. <laughs> well, what do you have there? This? Uh, the quick paper. Excellent. Let's begin with that, shall we? Well, uh, isn't there something a little more lively, perhaps? Oh, I have everything here. How about uh, Martin Chuzzlewit or Great Expectations? Well, I was thinking of a more modern author somehow. I don't suppose you would have a copy of, say, South Wind. South Wind? That's all. I have everything Dickens ever wrote, but I've 
Never heard of that. Oh, but it's not by Dickens, you see. Oh, well, in that case, I don't have it. You mean all these books are by Dickens? Oh, certainly. You, you must be quite fond of Dickens. Fond? Far more than that. Far more than fond, Mr. Ross. Oh. You see, these are the only books I've ever known or, or heard. As I told you, they, they belong to my father and he used to read them to me. And then later, Barnabas Washington. And now me. And now you. But don't worry, I never get tired, even though I've heard them all several times by now. You see, oh, there's always more to be learned and noticed. So many characters, so many changes of scene, so many words. It takes a long time to read them all. More than two years. <laughs> well, in that case, they'll certainly last out my visit. Oh, I hope not. I sincerely hope not. Like with the start again. Each time I, I find more to enjoy and admire. But come, let's begin, shall we? So, all right. Yes, and read slowly now. I don't want to miss anything. And you won't mind going back over certain passages, will you? I'll let you know when we come. Of course. Now, let's begin. The posthumous Papers of the Pickwick Club. Chapter One. The Pickwick Club. The first ray of light which illumines the gloom and converts into a dazzling brilliancy that obscurity in which the earlier history of the public career of the immortal Pickwick would appear to be involved, is derived from the perusal of the following entry in the transactions of the Pickwick Club, which the editor of these papers feels the highest pleasure in laying before his readers as proof of... As I continue to read, the old man frequently interrupted with questions or comments or requests that I reread a favorite passage. His delight was rather contagious. But by the time we were on the fourth volume, the novelty had begun to wane. And anyway, I was feeling strong enough to be restless. More than once I brought up the subject of my departure. But Mr. Todd seemed obtuse and paid no attention. Finally, one day, he actually became a bit menacing about it. I had just finished a chapter of Bleak Hearts and was resting my eyes for a moment. You know, Mr. Last, you read even better than my father. Even better, I might add, than Mr. Washington. Well, we still have a lot to get through. I hope I shall be able to finish it before I leave. Oh, yes, don't disturb yourself about that. You'll have time to finish it, my friend. Look, Mr. Todd, the time's come when I really must be thinking of getting back to civilization. I've already imposed on you much too long. Oh, not at all, Mr. Last. It's been a pleasure, a great pleasure. I know, but still... How soon do you think I'll be able to get a boat? A boat? Yes, to go down river. Oh, you know I appreciate all your kindness more than I can say. Oh, Mr. Still... Last, any kindness I may have shown is amply repaid by your reading of Dickens. Do not let us mention the subject again. I'm very glad you've enjoyed it. But I really must be thinking of getting back. Oh, yes, the other Englishman was like that, too. He thought about it all the time. But he died here, Mr. Todd, how long was he here, the other Englishman? Oh, now I don't recall exactly. We pay so little attention to time down here, you know. Well, did he read all of Dickens to you? A long time ago. But I do remember Dombey and Son three or four times. Three or four times? Hmm. But you said it took two years each time to go all through. Yes, about that. Mr. Todd, why did he stay here all those years? Well, I don't know. I never asked. But there must have been some reason. Well, he 
never said. All right. But I really must press the point. When can I get a boat? There is no boat. Well, then the Indians can build one. Well, you must wait for the rains. There isn't enough water in the river now. Well, how long will that be? Oh, months, two months. All right, then. I'll wait a month or two. Of course. Now, let's get on. Now, it's so interesting what Dickens has to say about the law's delay. Bleak House has always been such a favorite of mine. And so, in spite of everything, at least I knew what I was waiting for. And so it only remained for the rains to begin. I waited as patiently as I could, living with gaudy dreams of my return to England. Until one day, as we were reading, Mr. Todd explained all that away. I think Mrs. Jellyby does not take enough care of her children. <laughs> but still, Dickens has great sympathy for her. He'd been poor himself, you know. What's that? Listen. Uh, yes, shall we go on now? Rain. The rain has begun, Mr. Todd. Of course, the time for it. But do let's finish that chair. No, no, later. I must go and talk to the Indians about building a boat. I can leave now, don't you see? Oh, Certainly, the river will be full soon, and in a week I'll be off. Oh, I'm afraid that's impossible, Mr. Lars. Impossible? Why? Oh, the Indians won't make a boat during the rainy season. It's one of their superstitions. Is that true? Ask them. I think you might have told me. You didn't ask. Why didn't you mention it, then? I must have forgotten. That's a pose. You've forgotten nothing, Mr. Todd. I'm satisfied now that you're holding me here against my will. I demand to be released. Of course, you're perfectly free. Now, look here. You've saved my life. And, and when I get back to civilization, I'll reward you to the best of my ability. I'll give you anything within reason. But, my friend, there's nothing keeping you here. You're under no restraint. I demand to be released. Then go when you like. Stop that. You know very well I can't get away without your help. Then in that case, you must humor an old man. Read me the rest of the chapter. No, Mr. Todd. I've read for the last time. Oh, I hope not, Mr. Last. Oh, I sincerely hope not. That evening at supper, only one plate of dried meat was brought in, and Mr. Todd ate alone. Next day at noon, a single plate was again put before him, but with it lay his gun, cocked on his knee as he ate. And so I resumed the reading of Black Cards, where it had been interrupted. And then, as though to make my situation even clearer to me, I came upon a scrawled note stuck between the book's pages, and I read it with growing horror. Hmm? What is it, Mr. Lost? What have you there? This document. It was here in the book. Document? What document? Don't you know? Hmm. Then I shall read it to you, Mr. Todd. Hmm, if you like. It seems a pity to interrupt Dickens, though. Year 1930. I, James Todd of Brazil, do swear to Barnabas Washington of Georgetown that when he finishes this book, in fact, Martin Chuzzlewit, I will let him return to civilization without delay. Then there's an X, and after it, Mr. Todd made this mark. Signed, Barnabas Washington. Ah, yes, poor Barnabas. He died before he could get out. And if I remember the marker you put up... He died in 1942. Is that right, Mr. Todd? Excuse me, Mr. Last. I nearly forgot something. I meant to mention it earlier. Yes? The Indians tell me that uh, you were trying to speak to them this morning. I was? Of course. But may I suggest that it would be easier for you to say anything you wish through me? Uh, 
realize, do you not, that they, they do nothing without my authority. They regard themselves, and quite rightly in many cases, as my children. I have nothing to hide. I was asking them about a boat. So they gave me to understand. And now, if we've finished, do let's get on with our reading. I'm quite absorbed in the book. We finished Bleak House and Oliver Twist and Great Expectations and Nicholas Nickleby, the old curiosity shop. Little Dorrit, Edwin Drood. More than a year passed. And Mr. Todd began looking forward to starting all over again. The empty days followed one another in hopeless succession. Until one morning, a stranger suddenly arrived in the savannah. A prospector. One of that lonely order of men who wander for a lifetime through the forest, tracing the streams for gold. Mr. Todd was out, hovering about on business for the farm... When the man appeared, I found him a plate of meat and fed in and eagerly sat down at the table across from him. Nice setup you got here. Look here. Where are you bound for? Manaus. Need a new outfit. You, you've got to do something for me. It's terribly important. Well, sure, pal. What is it? Yeah. Take this. Give it to somebody in Manaus. The police, the mayor, or somebody. Tell him... Tell him you found me. And to get in touch with the British consul. Well, uh... I ain't going to get in trouble with this, am I? No, 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 no. Look, this isn't my home. I'm a member of the Messenger Expedition. Dr. Messenger was drowned, and I've been held prisoner here ever since. You're my only hope of ever getting up. You understand? You sound like a jungle head to me, but I'll do it for you if that's what you want. You must. You must, please. Well, one thing, though. What? Wouldn't it be simpler if you just came along with me? No, I'm afraid not. Why? First... There are Mr. Todd's Indians. I can't take two steps into the jungle without one of them after me. No. And then Mr. Todd has a shotgun. You uh, mustn't mind, Mr. Last, my friend. Uh, touch a fever, you know. This is Mr. Todd. Perhaps you see what I mean. I warned you about getting up too soon, Mr. Last. It's my guess you're going to have a time of it now. I have no fever and you know it. Well, you boys settle this between yourselves. I, I've got to shove on enough. Thanks for lunch. But you will... Like I said, why not? Don't bother to see me off. So long. You're going to let him go? Of course. Oh, God, Mr. Lost, I believe we're going to begin Little Dorrit today. I'm most anxious to hear it again. From then on, there was hope. And as the weeks passed, I endured each day in confident anticipation of what might happen on the morrow. I even felt a slight stirring of cordiality towards my jailer. And therefore, I quite willingly joined him when one evening he proposed that we attend a native feast. There was a lot of singing in an apathetic, monotonous manner. And then we were given a small calabash of kuwari to drink. It was a pleasant beverage with a flavor of honey and brown bread. An etiquette required that we drink it down without lowering the gourd. I had several. And soon after grew warm and drowsy and dozed happily off in a hammock, dreaming of fine claret in the white cliffs of England. Last, hmm? Mr. Last, you better come and eat something. You will hmm? starve to death here. Uh, uh, oh, hello. Oh, my head. I, I must have been quite tight last night. <laughs> Treacherous drink, that. Now, how do you feel? Rotten. That drink doesn't seem to agree with me. Well, I'll give you something to make you better. The forest has remedies for everything to make you awake and to make you sleep. Oh, I say, you... You haven't seen my watch anywhere. You've missed it? Yes, I thought I was wearing it. 
You know I've never slept so long. Not since you were a baby. Do you know how long? Uh, two days. Oh, nonsense, I can't... Two have... whole days. And it's a pity, too, because you missed our guests. Yes. Oh, I've been quite gay while you were asleep. Three men from outside, Englishmen. Pity you missed them, and a pity for them, too. They particularly wished no. to see you. No. Yes, they no. came all the way to find you, all the way from England. But since you couldn't greet them yourself, I gave them a little souvenir. Your watch. My watch? Oh, like you gave them my watch. You shouldn't mind. You see, they had to have something to take back with them. A reward is being offered for news of you. They seem very pleased. You couldn't. Even you. That's like killing them. And they took some photographs of the little cross I put up to commemorate your coming, but... Not before I put another date on it, you know. Oh, you did. You killed me, didn't you? You I killed think me. In general, they were quite pleased, but I don't suppose they'll visit us again. Our life here is so retired, no pleasures except reading. No, I don't suppose you'll ever have visitors again. But come, come, your headaches. I'll get the medicine for you. You're just life. upset. Look. We won't have any life. Dickens today. My whole life. But tomorrow and the day after and the day <laughs> after <laughs> that. Do let us read Little Doris again, I, Mr. Lars. I tell you, there are passages in that book I can never hear without the temptation to weep. Under the direction of Anthony Ellis, Escape has brought you The Man Who Liked Dickens by Evelyn Waugh, especially adapted for Escape by John Meston, and starring Terry Kilburn as Tony, with Joseph Kearns as Mr. Todd. Featured in the cast were Ramsey Hill and Joe Cranston. The special music for Escape is composed and conducted by Leith Stevens. This is Roy Rowan speaking. And remember, America is listening with 14 million kitchen radios. And listens most to the CBS Radio Network. And that's Escape with the Man Who Liked Dickens, starring Joseph Kearns from December 21st, 1952. Also in that cast, William Conrad and Joe Cranston, with Roy Rowan announcing over CBS. Let's take a break. Then it's more of Hollywood 360 after these words. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Hi, Carl Amari here. During the month of December, you can digitally download Amos and Andy Volume 1. Twelve comedy episodes of Amos and Andy Volume 1 is regularly priced at $19.99, but is yours for only $9.99 via digital download this month only. Also on sale during December at 50% off is Classic Radio's Greatest Christmas Shows Volume 1. Twelve Christmas episodes including Fibber McGee and Molly, The Great Gildersleeve, The Bing Crosby Show, My Favorite Husband, Nero Wolf, Our Miss Brooks, Suspense and more. Classic Radio's Greatest Christmas Shows Volume 1 is regularly priced at $19.99, but is yours for only $9.99 via digital download this month only. Visit ClassicRadioStore.com today and digitally download the Amos and Andy Show Volume 1 and Classic Radio's Greatest Christmas Shows Volume 1 at half price. In January, these two collections will go back to full price, so don't miss them while they're on sale during December. Log on to ClassicRadioStore.com. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Next time, it's Casey, crime photographer on A Good Christmas Show, starring Stotts Cotsworth. Then it's a Christmas program on Phil Harris and Alice Faye. You won't want to miss that. We'll see you all next time right here on Hollywood 360.